from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 79 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? Oh, I'm doing well. So just, uh, you know, starting to get packed up, ready to head out to Orlando. Absolutely. So yeah. did you, uh, with all the getting ready and stuff, did you have time to watch uh, Mickey's 90th Birthday Spectacular on ABC this past weekend? Oh, I was going to talk about that next week. But... Oh, next week? Okay. <laughs> then but we will... No, well, only... But no, let's... Um, I, I'm only about an hour into it. I got to... The part where I guess K-pop is, is started to perform. Yeah, is that the name of the boy band? I, I mean, they've just walked out on stage, and apparently every teenage girl inside that auditorium and for several miles around it are all screaming. Yeah, I when that <laughs> that's actually right about where I turned it on. I missed the first half of it and picked it up with with that point and. At first, I just kind of like shrugged it off. I was like, I've been to TV tapings before. I know how they run you through the the audience shots where they want you just clapping so they have cutaways and stuff. And then once I started to put it together and saw some of the wider shots, it's like, no, these people are actually losing their minds over this. And I mm-hmm. don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, kn- I know I've read about K-pop or seen them. I think they've been in Carol's People magazine or something. And I know they're big. I know they're they're a thing. So Yeah, I, under- I, I understand have- the, the appeal of K-pop. It's not for me musically. It's not something that I necessarily enjoy. But it was – that was just one weird segment and an entire show that just felt – strange stranger than normal for, for a yeah. disney special well i think a lot of it's so it clearly you know because i saw what people were posting on the diz about it and i so i went into this with great trepidation <laughs> hey hey let's and, be honest that was only jackie <laughs> and um and because there because it wasn't there were there weren't a lot of positive reviews you know of, of no. our listeners and and folks who visit the boards you know on that and um so and i and you know i sit there and i we've talked about this before you know we our generation my generation and all that we're no longer the target audience for disney they they have us hooked they're they're done with us i mean it is the younger generation they're trying to bring in and i think this special from the first hour i've seen clearly demonstrates that absolutely it's, it's, it's nice they threw in some history I appreciated that, and they're throwing in some clips. But boy, when when you see these beautiful renderings of, of the the classic Mickey Mouse shorts, and then the current web 
versions yeah. of him. I I just don't care for them. Um, I, I don't care for the new ones at all. And I, I just don't see how they're going to hold up as classics. But anyway. No, you're, you're right. The, the torch has passed in terms of their target audience. And you know what? That's fine as long as they still find a way to respect their current audience from time to time. Uh, so mm-hmm. the, you know, give us that history every now and again, give us, give us throwbacks to the, to the things that we loved about it. It's fine if they integrate everything they're trying to, to put into it now, but, uh, it's, this was not what I expected from that show. And, and, uh, D 23 Jeffrey, uh, from D23 was nice enough to invite me and a guest to, to come out to that show. And, uh, I would have had to fly. And this was very shortly after I was in the hospital with my uh, pulmonary embolism. So Mm -hmm. flying was out of the question for it. But after watching it, you know, I'm not trying to say anything too negative about it, but I, I don't know if I would have been satisfied traveling across country in order to uh to to see that so if i was a california local and i got invited that would have been one thing uh but it would have been a long way to to see that interesting mix of entertainment well and i don't know who the young lady was in in the giant poofy princess dress that sang um the oh it was from um you know, from Little Mermaid, the look at the part stuff. Of your world. Part of your world. Oh my! I think she was having an asthma attack. I mean, I think she needed her uh-huh. inhaler. I have never heard someone sing so breathy. I am. I've, I don't know if that's her style, or it, it, hauling her up on that giant swing like a big puffy teddy bear. Um, just took the wind right out of her. But um. It, you know, I'm so glad that Diz has enabled us to hear Jody Benson sing. Yeah. Um, it was, I, I, I don't know, the poor young thing. I hope, I hope her, uh, her assistant had the inhaler ready yeah. when she was done. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I just looked it up. That was I don't remember watching that part. I might have blocked it out of my mind, it or was that was the before very I started. First musical performance. Okay, that's why I missed it. Yeah, it was Sophia Carson, uh, of course, from uh, Disney Channel's original movie Descendants of that that fame. That. So that that checks out. So <laughs> is that is that her her style? I to sound I like she's wheezing. Have not. I have not watched Descendants, but mm-hmm. uh, it would make sense. That's mm-hmm. uh, that is also one of the current styles that is in in terms of singing. It's oh, okay. it's very you know it, it's interesting to see how music <clears throat> progresses and just just changes with time. So I mean, you've lived through it more than I have, but <laughs> even I'm seeing it now, and uh, it's it sucks growing up. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that's the best way of saying anyway. it. But 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 there, there were in between the wheezes. She had a very sweet voice, so um, she just needs to catch her breath before she starts. <laughs> I'm good. I'll, I'll check it there's out. Sometime. A, there's my critique. There I am, the Simon Cowell of the Diz. <laughs> it's excellent. It, it looks good on you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anyway, um, 
Well, speaking of Mickey Mouse and his 90th anniversary, of course, Destination D is is almost here, and we uh, we do again. One, uh, this will probably be the last time to remind our listeners about our informal Connecting with Walt meetup at Destination D. Yeah, it will be by uh, the time next week up next week's episode is released. Uh, we will probably be well and done with our meetup, but uh, just for everyone who hasn't heard it yet or for those who have forgotten at the uh, at the Outer Rim Lounge at Contemporary on November 16th that's at Friday starting at 2pm we're going to have our little unofficial meetup uh, Outer Rim Lounge of course is right beside to the left of Contempo Cafe in the where you go to enter Chef Mickey's so it's right on that main uh, the the main floor of the contemporary, which is that fourth floor. So if you're coming in from the ground level, uh, you have to take the escalators up from the main lobby up to get to to the the fourth floor, the concourse level. And if you're coming from monorail, you have to just go down one quick escalator and you're on that concourse level. So. Uh, like if said in the past before too, we're doing it at two PM, so it gives you time to get over after lunch and just hang out for as long as you want to. You can just literally stop by, say hi, and leave from there. But uh but we'll be there for a little bit of time and uh still give you time to head back into the parks, hit the rest of your fast passes that you have, grab dinner, all that good stuff. But yeah, we look forward to seeing everyone who shows up for it. Yeah, by the time this show goes up, I will be at Walt Disney World. So I hope uh, keep an eye out for me and say hello and all that. Maybe we can hang out for a bit. So um, anyway. Yeah, so. I, assume, uh, I, I assume that I'll be in the bushes somewhere in the Magic Kingdom, still exhausted from last night's Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. So if, uh, if you see me, just poke me. Tell <laughs> me to go home. Yeah, I'm going on the um, 13th to um, make this very merry, scary Christmas party, whatever it's called. (laughs) Excellent. You you all have such complicated names out there. Yeah, (laughs) you know, if there's not extra words, then there's no extra fun. (laughs) Sure. So... So anyway, um, I also wanted to bring, I hadn't talked about the Walt Disney Family Museum in a little while, and I just wanted to remind folks about them. And also um, that if you've been thinking about becoming a member, 2019 would be a good time because I just got the uh, members only uh, you know, we, we get to get our tickets in advance. So I thought, you know, a membership for yourself or for your family would be a great holiday gift. I, I want to just tell you a little about what they are doing. The first quarter, if you're you're listening to this show, the first quarter of their programs are incredible. And I mean, you're going to want to put us on pause and go out and become a member because um, j- these are all going to sell out. Um, anyway, um, like for instance, January 5th, uh, they're going to have memories from the children of the nine old men. So their children are going to be at the museum, and it's going to be moderated by Don Hahn, who you might remember from an early episode of the show when he talked about the Nine Old Men, um, Walt's Nine Old Men exhibit there, because it's closing. And then members can also get tickets for a special um, reception with Don Hahn um, afterwards, and then wine and, and food. And then he's going to talk about his personal experiences with the Nine Old 
men and how they impacted him and his career. So that's cool. Then on January 26th, they're doing a retrospective of Walt's life. And that should be fascinating. And then on February 2nd, they're, they're talking about the Disney family history. And then, and I believe Becky Klein is, might be doing that one from the archives. And then March 30th, The Hand Behind the Mouse, it's all about Ub Iwerks. So uh, with his, um, his family, it's actually going to be there to talk about him. So, you know, if, if, first of all, if you know you're going to be at the museum on any of these dates, try to get tickets. But really, if you're thinking about becoming a member or thinking about renewing, I just wanted to put in a plug for them because yeah. these are great programs. So, anyway. No better time than right before Christmas to buy that, too. That's right. That's right. And you get discounts, you know, at the uh, at their bookstore. And, of course, they have um, reciprocity agreements with other museums as well. So hmm. when you're a member at the Walt Disney Family Museum. So it's very cool. So, All right. Well, you know, every quarter, you know, we invite members of our Connecting with Walt family to become a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. And in our last episode, we answered questions about Disney theme parks and resorts. And this week, we are answering questions about Walt Disney's family, the Walt Disney Company, Imagineering, Disney films, and more. So, Craig, I started last time, so do you want to start this time? Yeah. Uh, do you have any particular category that you want to start off into? So, I know the Walt Disney one was first, and, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the questions we got regarding Walt was, yeah. what would we think Walt would feel uh, about parks and other stuff? So, yeah. you know, the message can't always get out to everyone. Um <laughs> yeah, we just don't know what Walt would think because you know over the years we saw Walt changed his mind. Yeah, a lot. So we have no idea. And uh, even like projects Walt started, he dropped, he changed them, he uh, lost interest in them and gave them to other people to carry on with. So that that's you know that's that's just why we can't yeah. address those. That whole Walt would Walt think Thing. We, we, you know, we just don't feel we can address yeah. those with any confidence. Yeah, but I do think you could uh, you could answer Larry's, which was uh, what Lillian did after Walt passed away. Did she remarry? Did she remain a presence at all in mm-hmm. in everything Disney? You know, Lillian, Lillian, actually, after a couple of years, few years, she remarried. She uh, married a dentist. And, and and they were married for quite a long time until um, he passed. She really devoted herself to philanthropic works. She was involved in many, many charities. And she was also involved in really keeping um, Walt's name alive. She, uh, you know, one of her last big charities that she did with her daughter, Diane, was, you know, the Walt Disney Symphony Hall. Uh, she really wasn't involved in the day-to-day operations or anything of the Walt Disney Studio or the Walt Disney Company. Uh, She certainly was aware of what was going on. She um, wasn't always happy 
with the direction it was going in sometimes and she was vocal about it and she but you know she would show up at uh you know like she was at you know she would show up for events you know whether it was rededications of the parks anniversaries of the parks she was there for the dedication of epcot um she was very open about her thoughts of parks opening overseas and and she would get into uh, what would Walt think, um, but and, and so that was so that was it. She also talked a lot about how much she missed Walt, and uh, and um, so even though she remarried and all that, you know her her first love was Walt, and um, you know and she missed him. So but yeah, so that's what she did. So she kept very very busy. Mm-hmm. As she should. I mean, as anyone should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you want me to That's... ask another one, or are you going to ask me one? Um, let's see. Because I was I... there. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I thought was there a related one? You just wanted a link to that one? And no, not really. So <laughs> I just I saw that one and it popped up because I I will be honest uh, is I guess I'm kind of showing off how bad of a Disney fan I am I didn't know if Lillian remarried I don't Mm -hmm. know if that just never came up in anything I read or any conversations we had but I was interested in it too Um, so I got my answer so I appreciate that and Um, I I sort of uh, I sort of drew in um, Liz asked a very similar question yeah and uh, and so um, I mentioned so I tried to tie a few her question into that as well so, um, but so anyway, I can ask you the next question if you would like. It's a uh, kind of jumbling a little bit of the Imagineering questions that okay. that we got. Um, I, I it's kind of a mixture between Rachel's and Elisa, so I'll read them both in in their order. So Rachel asked a lot of discussions sent around influential Imagineers. You really hear mention of influential influential Imagineers of today besides Joe Rohde, who are some highly influential Imagineers of today and what have they worked on. Uh, compound that with Elise's as Disney fans, we know all the legendary Imagineers like Exitentio, Bob Kerr, Tony Baxter, who are current Imagineers that aren't so well known that you consider to be future legends. So I feel like those two kind of combine into the same thing the almost the same category so i don't know if you had any thoughts i i've got just one or two but then an abstract version of this yeah i um you know i don't keep up with the imagineers <laughs> unfortunately but i came across an article a while back uh on d23 it was nine inspirational disney imagineers and i think it was for um Women's History Month. And so it covered some influential um, women Imagineers and all that, you know, like Sue Bryan. And because she, you know, she was involved in um, Mission Space and Toy Story Midway Mania. Uh, You know, um, Marianne um, um, Bures, you know, she did Guardians of the Galaxy, Mm -hmm. uh, Mission Breakout. And soaring over California, and and worked on several um, hotels for the par- international parks. Yeah. you know. Uh, so um, Kim Irvine, 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, probably almost everybody's heard of hers. But she she redesigned a lot of the restaurants and, and things in um, Disneyland especially. And she was the first female recipient of the Buzz, Buzz Prize Thea Award for a lifetime of outstanding achievements in the themed entertainment association. But, you know, she started her career, you know, in the model shop working on it's a small world for the Walt Disney world resort. And, um, but she, and she did um, a lot of color design for when um, Disneyland resorts, Fantasyland and main street USA was, um, you know, redone yeah. and all that. So uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just sort of going through here. Oh, um, Amy Jupiter. Uh, you can thank her for Pandora, the world of avatar and also guardians of the galaxy mission breakout. She worked on that. Another one that a lot of people have definitely heard is Kathy Magnum. Yes, of you course. Know, she worked. On, she's worked on the Walt Disney World Resort, Disney Cruise Line, Disneyland Paris, Cars Land. Okay, that that was one of her big thing. Um, you know, the Living Seas with Nemo and Friends Pavilion at Epcot. Um, you know, if you listen to last week's show, I'm not as enthusiastic about that version of the uh, of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing this young lady's name. Hilcia um, Pena, uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean Battle for Sunken Treasure, Shanghai Disneyland. Oh my gosh! And um, she she did, uh, and also Hong Kong Disneyland's Grizzly Gulch, Toy Story Land, and Mystic Point. She's worked on huge, huge attractions. So there's, um, so th- those are some. I mean, really, those are some female Imagineers who have delivered us some huge, huge experiences in the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just compounding on that, too, uh, I I will personally say one uh, one Imagineer who is like a rock star to me, who I would consider to be influential. And if he's not considered a legend yet, he's. I don't know if he'll ever achieve that status, but at least for some people, he might. Uh, Jason Grant, who is an art director for Imagineering, and uh, he made that really adorable, um, the the Disney storybook, Magic Kingdom storybook, that Mm -hmm. is just just so, so adorable. But besides that, uh, Jason, at least at some of the D23 panels I've been to, especially Destination D, he will get up and talk about Disney history and he will steal the show mm-hmm. with his love and passion for Disney parks. Um, he, he is a Disney nerd just like we all are. And he's one of those lucky ones who then got to, to make that his life and his career on top of that. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've been at like Disney Springs and he's been with art students sketching all around oh, wow. Disney Springs like he'll be I've seen him by himself doing it and I've seen him with groups I don't know if it's if up and coming imagineers or art students from somewhere or what but they they'll be all sketching and just like just drawing early in the morning random times like it's that is it's always so cool because every time I go up um I I've met him before at at media events and I've interviewed him once or twice but it's it's never those times where I'm like super excited to talk to him. It's it's the times where you see him out and about 
at Disney Springs just sitting there like wanting to know what he's working on uh, as he's sitting there taking in all of the all of the surroundings so to me he is amazing and you know we're, we're getting very close to destination d here and i know he's at least doing one panel at it and it's one of the things i am looking forward uh, to very greatly to hear him speak again uh another imagineer that that i enjoy and he's had an impact on both universal and and disney now especially is j michael roddy who has really forefronted a lot of the uh, the projection shows that have come as lately? You know, his his one baby was the the Star Wars projection fireworks that are currently happening at Hollywood Studios. He's he's very very big in this community. So way back in the day, he used to work on uh, on Halloween Horror Nights and Bill and Ted over at Universal Orlando. So he's very well known for that, uh, and then compound that on now that he's he's doing so much in imagineering he he's a big deal so uh if you haven't seen interviews with him yet it, it's it, as he keeps working it, you're just gonna see him more and more and uh and i guess the the spinoff to that too is that I'll, i i feel like and this isn't this isn't necessarily how it is but uh it's no surprise that Walt Disney Imagineering is still designing, creating, coming up with with all of these ideas, but it's no longer out of the realm to, to just bring in people to help out with yes. the projects that are happening. So, uh, like, I, I love Trader Brandon, who came in to help out with uh, and help design uh, Trader Sam's Enchanted mm-hmm. Tiki Bar, and then... He also helped design Grog Grotto here in Walt Disney World. Uh, he's also worked with Universal to design uh, Volcano Bay with the tiki aspects. So there's people like him who are who are brought in to work these projects. Um, th- there's a lot happening like that where people mm-hmm. are brought in for specific projects. And I don't, again, I don't want to say this is this is the norm that everything is just third party. Now that's not the case. It's but there is a lot. Um, well, Garner Holt. That's exactly what I was. The first one I was mm-hmm. going to bring up is, yeah. uh, in terms of Imagineering, yeah, it might be Disney, Disney people coming up with the concept, uh, Imagineers coming up with the concept of these anima animatronics, but it's Garner Holt bringing them to life. It's mm-hmm. I, I want to hear about those people who are bringing these contraptions to life. I know a lot of the projection technology that's done third party. I cannot think of the name of the people who are helping create everything going along with it. But a a lot of that stuff is is definitely contracted out. There are so many projects with, and there are so many projects created all by Walt Disney Imagineering, but elements of those projects will be contracted out that it's, it, it, it's really, there's so many superstars out there. And I think that's why we don't know. It's not this Mm -hmm. team that is just doing everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have to think, too, Imagineering isn't just making uh, audio animatronic figures. That's what we all think of. But some of the, the the beautiful lighting, the colors, the landscaping, and and even more Costuming. that we all enjoy. Yeah, that that's all Imagineering. And a lot of those are, are just, they're unsung. Oh, they it, do extraordinary work, but we'll never know their names. Yeah, and like the, the one that sticks out to me all the time is uh, back when I was still very new with the Diz, 
uh, I think it was during one of the the promotions with the limited time magic, maybe where I won a tour of Expedition Everest with an Imagineer, and mm. your immediate thought is. Okay, who's it going to be? Are we going in with the Yeti? Are we going to walk the track? What are we going to see? Like, what? who is it going to be? I, I, for the life of me, I could not tell you the name of the Imagineer that walked us around. I couldn't even tell you if it was male, female. I, I don't remember anything. All I remember is that they were in charge of the rock work. And so they spent their time going going into the Himalayas and studying rock design to bring it back to implement it and not just that but also brickwork everything everything with that nature so as you say it's an unsung position mm-hmm. that it, to me is one of the most unsung positions you can get because yeah. you, you would think with something like that it would be someone just drew it and they bring in contractors to come out and just make it happen no there's people out there studying every single detail to bring it to reality well and and if you want to see how that artistry and technology has changed in rock work look at the matterhorn then look at big thunder mountain then look at cars land look at expedition everest and then galaxy's edge next year and we're going to see an amazing progression you know, uh, uh, of all of that. Yep, and, <laughs> and that's another example of uh, when we say being contracted out in the way, it's uh, with Galaxy's Edge. It is a joint cooperation worldwide between Walt Disney Imagineering, Lucasfilm, and then the people who are actually building everything and bringing it to life, finding the right characters' voices to come together. So it's... Uh, I, it's Walt Disney Imagineering is still something very special, but mm-hmm. it's great also at the same time that Disney has opened the doors to so many other people. It, because not everyone can be Imagineer, but that doesn't mean everyone can't help towards what Walt Disney is, Walt Disney World, mm-hmm. Disneyland, Disney Parks are creating, and that's that's awesome in itself. It's it all those people out there who are saying, "I want to be an Imagineer one day." It's a way for them to get in the door without necessarily being an Imagineer. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's big. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is it my turn? It's yeah, that, that was a long <laughs> one, but yeah, it's your turn. <laughs> All right. I think I might jump categories. Let me see here. I think that's and we can idea. always, we can always return to a category too, if we wanted to, I have to Skips through all of the um, theme parks and resorts yeah. stuff. I should have had that at the end. Uh, oh, I'm going to go into one that you probably um, uh, the films, films Walt Disney Studio. Okay, so um, okay, there. This is one. I'm just going to quickly sort of. I think respond to this one about just because this is something somebody wrote this to me and I said, could you please um, 
submitted as a question, so I want to make sure I actually answer it. And this is from Erin. And she wrote, I recently came across the Oswald cartoon Spooks, which is in 1930. I noticed some similarities to the Silly Symphony Skeleton Dance in 1929. So I don't know if you had any historical perspective on this. The beginning of Spooks looks like a parody of Skeleton Dance. It's exaggerating tree branches waving in the wind. It's foreground cemetery cat blows a raspberry at the skeleton rather than being terrified. And the hooting owl, whom the phantom calls a... Um, fat-faced buzzard. The rest of the cartoons being largely a parody fan of the opera, yes. And um, it is. And, okay, Spooks was produced by Walter Lance. Uh, we know him probably more famously as the creator of Woody Woodpecker, but he did the Oswald um, series until like 1943 or so. And this is also animated by several former um, Disney Studio staff members. It the animation is not as refined as uh, Biwerks, but you can definitely see the Disney touch in this. What you, I'm surprised, Aaron, you didn't mention is the character that. Wow, boy, that really looks like Mickey Mouse <laughs> in this. And but it's not Mickey Mouse, but it's Mickey Mouse um, in here. Um, and whether it was a jab at at uh, you know um, at Walt by Universal. I think having this little Mickey Mouse looking character in there, yeah, I think it probably was. If not by Universal, probably by some of the former staff. Um, as a side note, um, Walt would use reuse themes from Oswald for Mickey Mouse shorts. And so you want to keep an eye out for those. But the one that definitely borrowed heavily from the skeleton dance was actually another Mickey Mouse short in the, that was it was in the same year 1929 called the haunted house and Mickey goes into a haunted house and he's sort of forced um, by a phantom to play music and then the skeletons start to dance to the music the, look very carefully at the skeletons dancing and then and then um, Skeleton Dance from earlier in the year. And it, it, it looks like they reused some of the same material. So um, so there's just that one in there. So. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, okay, Greg, I think that, Craig, this could, this might be an, I don't know, this could be a full episode. But um, Becca writes, I'm interested in learning more about older Disney films. Everything from the first Mickey cartoons and Silly Symphonies to live-action films, such as Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, which I watched a lot as a kid. And um, and then she goes on. Um, what would you recommend watching as a good base to start expanding my Disney film repertoire? I really enjoyed your discussion of Turner Classic Movies lineup recently, and so maybe I should go back and listen to past episodes as well. Oh, absolutely, Becca. Mm-hmm. Starting with episode one. Um, go back. So I guess, Craig, are there some must-see um, animated and live action that you would recommend to Becca? I The first thing when I thought of underrated animated uh, led to a couple things. Um, it, obviously, Halloween was just, uh, just right upon us, so one of the things I had to do was dig out my Blu-ray copy of 
of Mr. Toad, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. And I think that's absolutely something that should be watched if you haven't really gotten there yet. Along with, on the Blu-ray pack, if you have the multi-pack, that also came with Fun and Fancy Free, which is also very, very wonderful. Um, you know my love of Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros. I think in terms of underrated, I don't know if you can get much more underrated than them. Uh, but hmm. that's that's just my opinion. Um, I, I think those are obviously a place to start. I would even say uh, to get that full appreciation of both aspects of of Walt Disney as a company and then the animated side is you you have to watch the Reluctant Dragon and yes uh, the the full going all along with with going to the Walt Disney Studios learning about the ink and paint process everything with it seeing seeing the full way through uh, Clarence Nash in there doing Donald just everything it's it's amazing and. Uh, I don't one that's been really sticking out to me. It's not by any means at all um, lesser known or underrated in terms of animated movies, but something in the past like six months has kicked with me in Alice in Wonderland that it's just really been resonating with me. And I have watched it for so many years, and it's just it's it's always good, but nothing nothing like that makes it my favorite. But lately, especially the music. Um, and the uh, yeah, the music pretty much is the biggest part of it. It just mm-hmm. I I love it so much. It's it's really really growing on me. And then in terms of underrated live action, um, hmm, that's a the black hole. Yeah, <laughs> uh, clearly clearly a black hole. Uh, you know how much both Michael and I love that. Um, I'm going to let you go first, and I'm going to think about an underrated live action, because I didn't okay. I didn't know if we were going to bring this one up. I thought we were just going to be like, no, go back and listen to the past episodes and leave it um, at that. <laughs> well, you know, of course, if you haven't watched, uh, you know, some of the major classic ones, like, you know, like Snow White, Pinocchio, you know, I mean, definitely go back and watch those in animated a couple of the underrated ones. OK, this is this could either be live action or animated but thing is you're gonna have to get a bootleg copy or find it on youtube song of the south uh this was first of all it's first of all all the crap you hear about about this film is not true so you're gonna have to do we've talked about the background what the background story really is for this and so we don't need to go into that again definitely listen to a past episode on that the the way it blends the story and animation is so beautifully rendered. This is also probably, I just think some of the animation itself is excellent. And, you know, there's a, there's an attraction based on this at most, most Disney theme parks around the world now. And so, um, I, 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 I would say definitely try to get that one. Um, some other other ones that I'm trying I'm just trying to think that are underrated. Uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame because that is so different oh, from things that um, any other Disney animated yeah. film. See, and since a- I grew up with that, 
it mm-hmm. I would never consider that underrated, but that's just because of my personal uh my personal childhood. So <laughs> yeah. anyone who was born in the late eighties, mid eighties and grew up during the nineties, I think they have an obsession with that entire really? the entire Renaissance run. Yeah. I think my generation sort of overlooks it a bit. Um I loved Meet the Robinsons. I thought it was a great story. I thought the animation was terrific. I thought the character development was really well done. Uh, I love this film. And it's very entertaining. Uh, I liked Brother Bear. I thought it was beautifully uh, rendered. And it was a nice story. It was predictable. Yeah, I'm not as big of a fan of Brother Bear. Which is a shame because uh, Strange Brew... Um, uh, Bob and Doug McKenzie, the, one of my favorite duos, and Strange Brew is one of my favorite favorite comedies to watch. But I just, I, it never really resonated with me the way I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so have you thought about live action? I unfortunately have a really big list for lung action now. Uh, you gave me too much time there. Okay. Uh, and some of these are not necessarily underrated or or lesser known. It's just the ones that that jump out to me. Uh, of course, any any full-length Disneyland episode that you can get, Wonderful World of Color, uh, Walt Disney Presents episodes... Mm-hmm. Those are all some just you have to watch, and if you watch the TCM Treasures from the Disney Vault, uh, you're you're going to uh, you're going to stumble upon those eventually. But uh, one we've talked about on this show before, the Great Locomotive Chase, absolutely mm-hmm. love that movie. Johnny Tremaine was really really wonderful as well too. Third Man on the Mountain, if you're a Matterhorn yes. fan, is something that you have to seek out uh, to watch. Uh, I. It is very bad, and I feel terrible for for the poor chimpanzee who had to go through the filming of it. But Lieutenant Robinson Crusoe is just <laughs> amazing, and every, written by yeah. written by Walt Disney. No, just it, it is so perfect. Uh, <laughs> it, it's entertaining, and you know it's it's easily Dick Van Dyke's second best Disney movie after Mary Poppins. Um, and that that was the big one. I have I have big four that I feel are must sees for live action. Swiss Family Robinson. Oh, maybe it's five. Treasure Island, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, um, and uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to put Darby O'Gill on my list, but I. That's one I struggle with. I don't know if I really love it, and I just didn't really discover it until I was a little older, or if it's something that everyone mm-hmm. kind of discovered early on. Yeah. So that's why I didn't mention it. But I yeah. love... Yeah. I, I oh, will skip going out on St. Patrick's Day just to yeah. sit in and watch Darby O'Gill. Yeah. And the fifth one, Old Yeller. Oh, so I feel those are the five Disney classic live-action films you must see. Yeah. So, um, yeah. oh, and another random one I forgot Return to Oz. If you haven't seen yeah, that before, I do like I do like that one. So, it's newer, but uh, it, mm-hmm. it's a good one. So, yeah, oh, that was yeah. a good question. Yeah, that um, was very good. I'm I'm gonna ask you a tough one that kind of goes, uh, you know, still talking about movies, 
a brilliant original, but uh, we'll see how how the the new one is taken. But Levi asks, "What are our thoughts moving into Mary Poppins Returns?" Levi's excited for it, but yeah, I uh, saw that. Looks like it captured the brilliant original. We're still not quite to the release date as of the time that we're recording and releasing this, uh, but we have plenty of trailers out there now. Michael, where where are you at on there? I'm. I don't know. I did we really need Mary Poppins to return? It, no. it, the first one for me was just it was such a perfect film. I am really nervous that if this isn't it, it can't even be practically perfect in every way. This has to be perfect in every way because I don't want the original to be tarnished in any way by a substandard Mary Poppins returns. I'm not who is it Emily Blunt? Who's who's playing Mary Poppins? Yes, it's Emily Blunt. I'm not I no no, she's no Julie Andrews. And um that's not bad. But she's coming off a I don't know, I don't know. But um, I think she has that I, I think she has the attitude of Julie Andrews, but uh, I, I just recently had the chance. Rhino and I were discussing this. That's why I thought it would be fun for you and I to get in on this too. Mm-hmm. But I, I recently showed him the SNL clip from a few years back when, um, and why is her name escaping me right now? Uh, from Princess Diaries and, and oh, I know Les Miserables. Um, somewhere out there, someone's just screaming at the top of their lungs right now. Uh, what I can her name see her too. Is. I really hate that I can't remember it, uh, and I'm trying to Anne Hathaway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. I was way too late on that. Um, on SNL a few years back, they did a, a Mary Poppins sketch with her on that, and even though it was doing a cheesy comedy version of the English accent and stuff, she just something about her has the look the feel everything about mary poppins maybe it's because she worked with julie andrews on the princess diaries movies but there's something about her that's like that would have been the first one i went to but emily blunt i i feel like she gets the snarky side of mary yeah, poppins and that's that's, that's a, a very important about. but that's also important to have but um, there has to be, but it has to be balanced with a touch of sweetness, and that that's not coming through to me in the trailers. Yeah, uh, and yeah, well, the trailers have been kind of a mess. I feel like mm-hmm. they are showing that snarky side a lot, and the other thing too, they're showing a lot of the animated portions of it. Mm-hmm. I think to trap us in the sense that like oh there there are we're taking these characters and we're putting them in animated worlds so it should feel familiar it should feel like like it did before but it's even the shooting process on it is different this maybe i'm wrong but this looks completely digital to me and the animation is digital and they actually called back folks like the people that like some of the ladies that worked in ink and paint and all that for them to be consultants as to how to get the look of the hand drawn and the hand colored digitally so it is not hand-drawn animation so then that's double bad because it's not hand-drawn animation and then on top of that even the camera for the live action portions of it with 
with Emily Blunt and uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and the other stars. If you're also shooting that on digital too, you're going to have this very clean look without a lot of a film grain. And that's that's a huge aspect of it. If you, if you mm-hmm. watch back to Mary Poppins and you see you see those scenes, that graininess to it, that 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 realism to it kind of it, it helps blend those two worlds together. With these trailers, a lot of what we're seeing, it looks like it looks like flat static animation with these these characters that look too realistic. Mm-hmm. Um in, in terms of the animated characters and and the actual live action stars with it. It all looks too too separate, too real. It doesn't look like it's blending together mm-hmm. like it did in the original movie. And if you're going to promote that much, then these need to be the scenes that sell the movie. And I'm worried about that. Yeah. And what's with Michael Banks and that porn star mustache? I mean, seriously. I can't say much since I'm I'm rocking the stash right now. Well, but uh, yeah, it's it's not like uh, what what that character's wearing. I mean, it looks like it's a Halloween yeah. mustache that they use spirit gum to to put on that young man it's a little intense yeah and and i'm and i'm also worried that they're reusing too many of the themes from the christopher robin film about you know the parents you know the 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 father that's too busy with life in order to pay attention to his children and that's why mary poppins you know pays a visit which was also and 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 you know the theme of course is that and and this was brought out in Saving Mr. Banks and all that the theme was that you know it was really the redemption of the father yeah you know um in in that that it was about and I'm worried that they're just repeating the themes from the original film from Christopher Robin and all that and, and there's going to be a predictability to it. Yeah, it's. I, I will just say it's it's tough going in. I have some faith in Rob Marshall. I, I feel like he has done a couple things that were good. I personally, I understand why people love Chicago and why it did so well uh, with awards and such, uh, with nominations and and all that. And um, I. I don't like Chicago, though, the movie. I just don't care for it all. It is not well, my speed. If I, see, if I see Mary Poppins dancing around in a bustier, I'm walking out of the theater. <laughs> I think a lot of people will, but <laughs> I, I, that's arguably his biggest credit, and it's something I don't care for. He also did make Memoirs of a Geisha, which I thought was completely beautiful. I enjoyed Into the Woods, but I didn't really have the the actual musical as as a preface to it, my first experience with Into the Woods was the movie, so I walked away enjoying it. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides is right up there as the worst Pirates movie mm-hmm. uh, with um, At World's End, so that's not a great one. I did not care for Nine either, so uh, that's that's it in terms mm-hmm. of him directing. And then Mary Poppins Returns, so he doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't have a solid track record, but I have faith in him. But this, it could go horribly wrong. Yeah. But, Levi, I hope you are absolutely right that it's captured the essence of the brilliant original film because I loved, I agree with you, the original film was brilliant. I mean, it was just, I love it. It's one of the cherished films from my childhood. 
And I don't want anything to ruin that. So I'm hoping this is worthy of that film. Yeah. So, um, so, so I, so even though we're, we're sort of down on it, I'm really hoping it's good. The <laughs> the worst, uh, the more I'm being overly critical about it now. I know deep down when I walk into the theater uh, to see it for the first time. If I have the lowest expectations, I am way more likely to walk out enjoying it. And so, yeah, I I guess that's part of what's happening in my head right now. Yeah. If I walk in thinking I'm going to hate it, I probably will enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, going with so, that. Yeah, so Levi, be, let us know um, afterwards. Write me and Craig and um, let us know what you think of it afterwards. So, Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, is it this one's yours? I asked you about Mary Poppins. Okay, um, let's see. A lot of these, these I have very short answers for. Um, One I'll just answer. Connor, love the episodes over Oswald and Mickey. Thank you. Are there any chance there will be one about Donald Duck or others? Oh yeah, I'm sure there will be. Absolutely. But we have to get through Mickey, and he has a very long career. (laughs) Yeah, we we will be there in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> let's hope I'm still around in 2020. But uh, let's see. I'm just sort of going through here. Um, huh. I don't know. See, some of these are. I don't want to make any more movies based on theme park attractions. Yeah, <laughs> there's one from Ross that I think is an interesting discussion. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. And this one. In your opinion, what defines a Disney movie? Are there Pixar? Are the Pixar films Disney movies? What about the Marvel or the new Star Wars films? Pretty Woman, uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. If Mary Poppins Returns has the ending of Pulp Fiction, I'm leaving the theater. <laughs> well, I assume um, at some point Mary Poppins is going to get an adrenaline injection straight to the chest. <laughs> Otherwise, what, oh, that's what, right. what kind of movies are going to be? Well, maybe that's how she gets to that ceiling in the tea party scene. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, but so, go what, ahead, Craig. I, I think this actually is it's very topical right now, because as as these properties are being bought out, uh, you know, with with Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, now Fox, it, these lines are starting to get blurred mm-hmm. by people who aren't us. And I, I did notice it recently when uh, when Pixar... I, I, actually, it was on... I'm sure lots of people out there play it. HQ. Um, the the trivia game on your phone where you can win money and stuff. You know, of, of course I play it when, when I'm available to and such. And they've had a couple popular Disney nights. And... So when it's Disney night, I don't expect Pixar questions. And then, of course, out of nowhere, they ask a, they ask a question about Jerry's game, uh, the Pixar short. Oh, I'm like, well, yeah. that's great, but this is Disney night, not Pixar night. So that shouldn't be a question at all. And then that was, that was the defining moment for me. It's like, does the average person truly not see the difference? We always make the joke Oh yeah, you know Ice Age. That's a great Disney movie, or or Shrek. That's that's one of the best Pixar movies to ever exist. But are we really? Even though they're finding their way into Disney parks more and more now, does does the 
average person still not understand the difference between different studios i think they do with marvel and star wars but but specifically with pixar is it time where we start just lumping it all together because the masses can't tell the difference or or what like and i i don't I don't want that to be a thing. I don't want it to be Walt Disney Studios presents a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie mm-hmm. or Walt Disney. Like, I, I don't want to see that. But are we are we getting less inclined as a society to accept different studios, different studios um, as being separate when disney is the one that's distributing everything so that's it it is very complicated because pixar didn't have to go with disney they could have they could have worked with them on toy story and then cut a distribution deal with anyone else and we wouldn't be here to this day yeah Yeah. and the same goes for marvel star wars fox all of that it's these things are all tricky it's it's why we have a mess that dreamworks has just been all over the place the past couple of years bouncing around to mm-hmm. who's going to uh who's going to distribute dreamworks movies and then you have the mess on universal i think right now they're well universal owns dreamworks animation they were working with live action but right before that Disney was releasing DreamWorks live action. Yes. So it's it's all over the place. So should we dumb it down? Like, and just make I, everything a Disney movie? Or should no. we keep it separate? No, like he brings up Pretty Woman. Well, that was Touchstone. And that yeah. was created because it, they wanted to... Ron Miller, not Michael Eisner, wanted to create a... Um, a, a studio basically that where they could release more adult themed films that were not a Disney movie that didn't fall into the parameters and concept of a Disney movie because Disney is family friendly. It's something everybody can go to from the toddler to great grandma and grandpa and, and enjoy it together and I don't think you can say that about all these films. I love the Marvel films, and I love the Star Wars films, but, you know, my granddaughter can't enjoy some of these until she reaches a certain age. And yeah. um, and, and Pulp Fiction, I will never take her to see Pulp Fiction. And I don't know if... Um, and films that were made prior to Disney taking them over, you know, I, I don't know if I... I don't know if I'll ever consider Shrek will never be in a a Disney film. No, but um, God hopes that Disney doesn't absorb Universal so they can ever get that. I know, but um, who knows? They have money. Yeah, you never know. But um, no, I think that Disney created. They have these different studios in order to release a certain brand, a certain type of film. And Disney is um, has its unique brand and its unique target audience. I think the, I think it's blurred between Disney and Pixar. Yeah. I think they have the same target audiences. Well, that's also but, why I don't like using the hyphen of Disney-Pixar. Yeah. If you're going to use Disney-Pixar, it should be Disney-Marvel, Disney-Star Wars. That shouldn't be... And, I don't think anybody wants that. Yeah, and I, you know, Disney, I I get why it started, because 
that it was also a rough time for their animation mm-hmm. and associating themselves more with Pixar was a really good yeah. thing. But now, you know, Pixar's track but, record isn't always great. And but go, go, going back to Mary Poppins returns, our previous question, question, I, I think that Mary Poppins returns, if I remember correctly, is the first time Walt Disney animation and Pixar studios have worked together. Oh. On a film. I'm almost positive I read that hmm. when I was working on something. Yeah. So, But um, I, I think ultimately what defines a Disney movie, in the broader sense, if it's been distributed by Disney, you could call that a Disney movie. And that even includes some of the terrible movies that were released, uh, that were made by a different animation company that were just released under the Walt Disney banner. Um was the one valiant i can't oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like stuff like that yeah technically that was distributed by disney wasn't made by them if it was made by walt disney live action or walt disney animation it's a disney movie if it was made by disney pixar it's a pixar movie that was released by disney and the same goes with marvel and star wars they're Marvel movies, Star Wars movies released by Disney. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's the correct that's the correct way. That's the way I would look at it. I'm sure that's the way you look at it, Michael. But yes, um, it's I, that's the only reason I asked the question is should we just dumb it down? Is because we're also more in the know than the average person. Is is Disney eventually going to say we can tap more of these people if we just throw the disney banner around on everything and i'm afraid that that day is in our future i think it is as they bring it into the theme parks yeah because they're bringing in all these different studio products into the theme parks look at um well look at galaxy's edge look at the the marvel themed lands that are being built at several parks around the world synergy Um, is a double-edged sword yeah it is, wow. and it's an overused word. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for overusing it, but uh, I believe it's my turn to ask. I suggested that one, but I still need to ask you one. Um, I'm moving down to the Mausoleneus. Okay. Just, uh, oh. We are getting close to running out of time, so I I know there's one question that we'll probably save for last from Mark. Uh, that's okay. in regards to Destination D. So mm-hmm. um, I'm only going to ask you this next one because I want to talk about it more. But I'm interested in your thoughts too because I believe I believe you have some experience with this, or at least you should. But it comes from Casey saying, "Do you still think they should be making Disney sing-along songs? Why or why not?" Casey still watches them on YouTube because it's nostalgic to the era they grew up in. Casey, I still have all our VHS tapes of these things. I can't play them (laughs) because we don't have a VHS. Well, I think we do. I just don't think it's plugged in. I think they should make them. My children love those things and watch them over and over again. Our granddaughter loves it. We had to buy the DVD of the Disneyland um, 50th anniversary one. Um, well, it, well, they branded it as the 50th anniversary one, but it was the Disney sing-along. It was the same one. They just threw a, a 
you know, the logo on it for the oh. 50th anniversary. Oh. And uh, because she loved that one so much, she loved the Haunted Mansion one. That, that scared her. Now she would find it in vain. <laughs> but um, I, I think they should make them. I think they're a lot of fun. I think the children loved them. They liked to learn the words. And boy, and it was great when I was making dinner. I could, and I needed like 20 minutes. I could just throw one of those sing alongs in there and say, Why don't you watch this for a few minutes? So I, I just finish up getting dinner ready yeah. and, um, and stay out of the kitchen. So, anyway, I, so, I, yeah, yeah. I, I like them. I could define my childhood by a couple different things, uh, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, my son. For yeah. sure. Uh, Disney sing-along songs would be one. I, it, I I just can't understate how important these were to me still to, the, still to this day when I'm in a really, really bad mood and I just need to, to wind down and smile. You know, I have lots of stuff to help with that. But one of the things I will immediately go to is there is at least one good copy of Disneyland Fun on youtube that i can always sit down and watch and it is just instantly transporting me back to my childhood and i i didn't even go to disneyland when i owned a copy of that vhs i, I hadn't made it there yet uh but i felt like i knew disneyland before i ever got to go there because it, it, from the second that video kicked off with walking right down the middle of main street usa through the zippity doodah rap and thinking that there was ghost trees and really spooky characters coming out on the haunted mansion lawn at night to wrapping things up with when you wish upon a star and seeing the carousel still moving right through the castle and all that like that i i had preconceived notions of disneyland before i ever made it there because mm -hmm. because of that vhs tape so that's how important it was to me but even beyond that uh i think one of the very few kids uh vhs tapes that my grandpa had he was he was really into running movies and then making bootleg copies of them of course which lots of people love to do in the late 80s and early 90s but one he did that with was the very first sing-along song so i that was my first exposure to pirates of the caribbean that i can remember uh to the point that they they had yo ho yo ho pirates life for me on mm -hmm. that but at the end like that mixed in the classic ride through footage and at the end like i was always confused then when I went on the Disney World version, why the the part at the end where they're shooting at each other wasn't happening, and then <laughs> in that in that sing along song, eventually he shoots the the dynamite and the barrel explodes, and I yes. couldn't understand why that didn't actually happen when I would go on buyers, let alone that the scene didn't exist at all, which eventually I got to see in Disneyland. But it's like that's how ingrained they are and i i we bought all of them and just so many even through mulan and all of that i just it was something that was guaranteed to make us happy and i i think they should be making them however i don't think on home releases anymore i think that there there is still a case for that that release some blu-rays especially the classics ones again if i can get disneyland fun on a blu-ray I know it was shot on VHS and all that, so it's not going to be good quality regardless, but I love it so much. But if they would just make these for YouTube, 
is playlists with with high quality versions uh make it easy for kids to access for adults to access even this could be so popular because i do see the view count on these full-length releases that people upload to youtube of the old ones there's still a market uh back when frozen came out we we talked about let it go i believe last week uh one of the big videos that they released with it was let it go with in every language with the subtitles and we're getting sing-alongs released in the theaters there was the frozen sing-along that came out people love the idea of the sing-along so why it's not more prevalent to me is it makes no sense but yeah i I think it should be a YouTube series that they're constantly being released on there through the Disney app once that's a big thing. It might not be enough to... Yeah, it might not be enough to release it on physical copies, but digitally, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and um, maybe on Disney Plays, maybe if they get desperate, they'll... (laughs) listen if disney's not going to do it on themselves then they can hire me out as a third-party contractor to come up with it and put some text in front of songs that already exist so i will do the hard work (laughs) i am going to get paid for it of course i'm not doing it for free but someone out there might do it for free yeah all righty sounds good so hey well, do we want to do... We can probably go into the last question now because it might okay. might take a little bit of time. Okay. Well, Mark asked, do you have any strategy or planning suggestions for the upcoming Destination D event? So, Craig, do you have planning strategy or planning suggestions? As long as you have a ticket, you're going to have a great time. Yeah. Did and this... you're planning on showing up to our meet-in. Friday. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there. this is not like the D23 Expo, Mark, where it's like every man for himself. <laughs> absolutely where not. It's like the, the Disney Thunderdome. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, everybody is guaranteed a seat. All the seats are pretty good. Um, I would recommend one of the strategies is do that. If you can do that early check in on Friday because they will have some, you know, because they'll have the archives. um, You know, they always have a little display. Nothing is on the scale of also uh, of the D23 Expo. But there'll be some vendors there. You know, Imagineering will be there and all that. So, you know, if you want, you want to get there early and check things out and, um, you know, check out the archives and all that and what do they have on display. Again, it won't be huge like the archive display at the D23 Expo. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all in one small room last time. As well and, as the year um, before that, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but otherwise, you know, if, if you want to get in line early, because if, you, if you're someone that wants to sit, you know, right behind the, what do they call them this year? The, the, the high-priced package? Is it the Mouseketeer package yeah, or something? Yeah, I think it's that. Mickey yeah. Mouse Club package, something like that. I mean, if you really want to sit, like, right there, um, you're fine. But, you know, every seat is a good seat. I like to sit on the aisle. Because, yeah. you know, at my age, I never know when I have to go to the bathroom. But, um, and also, I just need to stretch out my legs sometimes. Yeah, that's me but, too. Yeah, but otherwise, um, 
you know, it's it. You know, it, there, there's also they had um, at the last destination D they had some sort of freestanding scenes that you that were photo ops. You could sit in, like they had a Jungle Cruise one. They had some fun ones. So if you want to avoid some of the lines of getting the photos in there, you can get there a little early. But again, you're you're not waiting long for anything. Yeah, really I, I I completely agree with you. Um, yeah. The only problem was meals uh, at lunchtime they didn't have a lot of options for grabbing lunch they had a like one like buffeteria kind of thing where you could get you know there the, um a, a, on the same floor as destination d event otherwise you had to go up into the contemporary at one of the restaurants there so if there's some place y- you know you might want to make plans for that yeah. you know Well, that's where I was going to come in with a lot of extra stuff, too. Uh, You hit it right on the head. Every seat is fine. I, the one I attended, uh, I guess that was 2014 now, which it it doesn't feel that long ago, but I guess it was. Uh, I, I did have a seat up front, which that required me to get a spot early, you know, not waiting in lines and lines and lines. It was just get in, get a spot and be willing to sit for like a half an hour before the first panel starts. Uh, and it, it's great sitting up front. That way you can see the panel on the stage. But I also did sit in the back just to see what it was like doing it then. And it's not terrible either. You're mainly looking at video screens, but you hear everything just as well. And ultimately, as long as you can see the screens and you can hear, you are getting the full experience. You very rarely do you need to see the people to be able to enjoy what they're saying. A lot of times they're referencing what's on the screens anyways. So really don't, don't get hung up about seating. Um, As as Michael said too, it's choosing that aisle seat. It's convenience to get up, but I would say a benefit of sitting in the back is these are long days. It's you essentially get in your seat first thing in the morning. And it's kind of, uh, at least the year I went, it was, it was that understanding that this was your seat for the day and people were very respectful of that. So mm-hmm. they weren't, they weren't switching seats, weren't moving up. Uh, if there was openings up there, they, they respected that that's where you sat and they were going to keep it that way. So if you do sit further back, you're able to, if you sit very far back to the point where there's no one behind you, you're able to stand up, you're able to stretch out. You can still do that in the front. Just be aware that you're going to block people. Uh, it's all indoors, so as always, layer up. You might not need it, but you don't want to be sitting in a freezing cold room if mm-hmm. for some reason they're able to get it extremely cold. So yeah. uh, definitely bring layers. On top of that, as you mentioned, snacks. Uh, unfortunately, as great as the contemporary is, and it has a lot of access to places right around there, when it comes to lunchtime, uh, Contempo Cafe gets flooded. If you don't have a reservation for the wave, uh, you're pretty much you're probably out of luck at this point because um, that will also get flooded. People run to the Magic Kingdom to try to get get a spot. Uh, they will go to the other resorts on the monorail to try to get quick service. I even uh, the year that I was there for it, we even ran out to Crossroads, which oh, wow. is I mean, it, it took a drive. That was back when they were still allowing people to park 
at Contemporary for the event. This year they're saying everyone has to park at the Magic Kingdom parking lot. So that kind of rolls that out unless you do like Uber uh, or Lyft. Then maybe you can get off property to get food. But you don't have a lot of time and every place that's around right by is going to be very busy. So just plan on being patient with getting food. Maybe stepping out a couple minutes before the last panel before lunch is done or if there's a panel you're not interested in as much be willing to skip that for lunch or or dinner whatever you have to do with that just uh, keep that open because things will be crazy but there's also one way around that pack snacks uh, mm-hmm. there's nothing that says you cannot bring snacks um, just it's if you care to to carry it then then you can have it and going off that I say bring lots of water. Yes. As much water as you can find um, and reasonably carry. Bring that on top of that. If you have a hydro flask or any hot slash cold water container that keeps things hot for a really long time or cold for a long time, bring bring coffee or tea in that too because uh, as great as these panels are, even the ones you're super excited for, it only takes one presenter who is very calming in the way they speak and very uh very genteel with their inflections to uh to get you to start to nod off in the middle of a panel especially if you've been sitting for like five hours and it's it just feels like the same thing over and over again it's really nice to have that boost of coffee and caffeine or tea in the middle and so just things like that um they're long days but they are so much fun. I I wish D23 Expo could be Destination D. Um, I obviously love aspects of D23 Expo a lot in terms of what they offer. But Destination D, I feel like when D23 says they are the, the fan club for Disney fans, for true Disney fans, I feel like Destination D is the true event for Disney yeah. fans because... It's limited, but everyone gets a seat and gets included, and it is just hours and hours and hours of sitting and listening to history, to the future, to the interesting subjects that the average Disney fan doesn't care about at all, but we do because we love Disney. So um, it's just it's it's a very special event and very very worth going to. So I'm glad Mark's going. Me too. And Mark, I hope you join us at our uh, meetup and uh, as well as everyone else who's going to be there. And uh, and we'll look forward to meeting you and seeing you there. So. And I think that brings us to a close for this, uh, this quarter of our Q&A. And so we, thank you, everybody. You, you all had such great questions. We apologize that we could not get to all of them. But, you know, we will have another Q&A session in, the, in 2019 in the first quarter. So if we didn't get to your question then, you know, send, resubmit it, unless you come up with an even better question. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we will, um, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll do our best to get to it then. Ha <laughs> 
here we go. We're now um, back to this day in Disney history. There's a lot going on towards the end of November in Disney history. Uh, Because of everything that's going on right now, you heard Craig talk a little about, you know, some of the stuff that he's been up to. And um, I'm I'm, you know, packing up to head out to Orlando. Um, we're doing our alternate format where I just throw out some questions to Craig and we're going to see what a whiz he is in his Disney history. So, Craig, are you all set for the week of November 11th? I'm as ready as I could be. All righty. Okay. On November 11th, 1956, Walt Disney appears as a mystery guest on a TV game show. It's hosted by John Daly, and it is one of the earliest successes of Mark Goodson, Bill Todman Productions. What is the name of this TV game show? Oh, um, I, I am aware of his appearance on the show. But for the life of me, I cannot think of the name of it. Um, and I'm doing my best to stall. Yeah, so you know, they, they have panelists it. of celebrities. Exactly. They ask questions. And They're blindfolded. No, oh, that's exactly. Yeah, I, I can picture it in. As they're. <laughs> Kind of like 20 questions in a yeah. sort. Just, I think Arlene Francis was on the show for like four decades as yeah. one of the panelists. <laughs> I just, I, it's, the name is not, it's not coming to me. And it's funny, the name is Question, too. Oh, it's just Question? The, the, well, the, the, it's the, uh, the title of the, um, of, of the show is a question. It's, oh. what's my line? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. pops up on YouTube. Somebody posts that every once in a while. It'll come into my recommended. Yeah, I want to say that's where I saw it. So I, I've seen it a couple times. It just it, it, for some reason I just I it's way after it, but I just wanted to say password over and over again. Oh, and so. that that is one of the that is a that is a. Um, Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production. Not the right one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, now let's go on to November 12th in 1939. This time, actor Bela Lugosi, best known for his early portrayals of Dracula, spends the day at the Walt Disney Studio as an animator's model for which Disney animated character? This is November 12th, Hmm. 1939. I've actually never heard of uh him being a stand-in for any character and that's surprising because i absolutely love monsters as i've talked about on this show mm-hmm. before uh, all the classic monsters and especially bella lugosi um i just if you haven't seen ed wood it's, it stars johnny depp it's a tim burton movie it's you know, regardless of your thoughts on Johnny Depp now, this was back in the 90s when it was made, and uh, it, it follows the awful director, Ed Wood, and him coming into contact with Bela Lugosi at the end of his life. Like, it just gave me even more of appreciation for him, but I genu- I have zero idea. I am i can't even think of anything that would fit this. Well, it, it is, I can give you a hint, it's my favorite Disney villain, I've talked about who my favorite I, Disney villain is. Uh, is it 
Chernabog? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it, that that was their intent. <laughs> um, it was the intent that Bela Lugosi be the model for the demon Chernabog in the Night on Bald Mountain segment of Fantasia. However, Bill Teitla, who is the animator in charge of Chernabog, was later dissatisfied with Lugosi's performance. And he had sequence director Wilfred Jackson pose for the cameras. So it will be Wilfred Jackson and not Lugosi who, you know, appears and that sort of in quotes, you know, on screen as Chernabog. Yeah. Thank Although when you see the eyes of Chernabog and the face and all that, I still think that looks like Bela Lugosi. Oh, I, I could agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. November 13th, something a little more contemporary. Which popular ABC network television show did the cast of Newsies make their West Coast debut by performing Seize the Day? Hmm. I believe I remember this. If I am correct. Um, Was this on Dancing with the Stars? It was very good. That's right. Yeah, was- I, I remember watching it. I didn't watch Dancing with the Stars. I still don't watch Dancing with the Stars, but I, I remember seeing the clip of it. Yeah, I I used to watch Dancing with the Stars with Carol, but I um, lost interest in it years ago. So <laughs> yeah. I I watched I watched the Disney Nights, and I watched um, I watched the the year Bill Nye was on. And I've watched bits and pieces of it, but it's never been something I could get into weekly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, on November 14th, 1984, the Disney Channel premiered a series that was a continuation or a sequel, depending on how you looked at it, to a popular television series that aired in the 1950s and 1960s, and also a 1983 CBS television movie. What is the name of the original series and the Disney Channel series? I I don't know. (laughs) I yeah had me hooked into something and then when you said when you said it was a series before I with 1984 I just genuinely don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, I don't even have a guess. Well, it the the Disney Channel premiered the series Still the Beaver. And the first episode was Growing Pains. This is a sitcom sequel to the 1950s and 60s series Leave It to Beaver. And they had also done a 19... CBS had done a 1983 television movie as a follow-up, yeah. sort of catching us up with the family. That was depressing. Ward had died. Um <laughs> the beaver was getting a divorce his wife was like leaving him and the kids and we never saw her again um wally was impotent oh (laughs) and they were he and um was it mary ellen whatever his girlfriend was from the original series they were trying to have kids but uh poor old um wally just wasn't wasn't up for it i mean and i'm thinking oh my gosh (laughs) So, and that I think June ran for town council. So, um, um, anyway, I, <laughs> so, yeah. but the the CBS the Disney Channel series sort of restarted things. And although 
Jerry Mathers, the beaver, was um, still divorced. But the new series focused on, on Wally Cleaver, Tony Dow, and his younger brother, Theodore Beaver Cleaver. Jerry Mathers are all grown up with families of their own. Um, still, the beaver will only last for one year on the Disney Channel before it's picked up by TBS for another four seasons. So. I've never, I mean, obviously, I know Leave It to Beaver, but I've mm-hmm. never heard of Still the Beaver. And oh, it's I'm worth watching. Glad. Oh, it's worth watching. Well, the 1983 one is sort of is depressing. The 1983 CBS television movie, if they locked that up and forgot about it, it would be fine. The new series was pretty good. I think, um, was it Lumpy? Was that? No, who is the. Who is Beaver's sort of chubby little uh, friend who disappeared after two or three seasons? Was it Clarence? I know who you're talking about, but I couldn't even tell you what the name was. Apparently he ran off and joined a cult, and so they brought him back. He was still a cult member, dressed in his cult clothes and all that. It was was fascinating. So anyway. But that was it. So I don't. It's probably on YouTube somewhere. I think worth catching. I'll try to find an episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's look at November fifteenth. On November fifteenth, nineteen sixty-five, Walt and Roy Disney make an announcement to the press. What is this announcement? I have a feeling. I know what it is. Is it the announcement of Walt Disney World? It is. Okay. Although it was Disney World at the time, yeah. Yeah. At 2 p.m., November 15, 1965, Walt and Roy Disney, accompanied by Governor Hayden Burns, they speak to the press in the Egyptian room of the Cherry Plaza Hotel. It was, all sounds so exotic. On Lake Eola in Orlando and officially launched the Disney World project in Florida. Site preparation will begin the fall of 1967. And as we know, the park opens in October 1971. Only days after this announcement, the price of land surrounding the property that the Disney organization purchased for supposedly about $180 an acre will shoot up to $80,000 per acre. And oh. and it will go well beyond that, like triple that oh. in, 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 a little, even a little well, while after that. Um, as of this day, Disney planners have acquired about $27,440 um, 27,443 acres, about 43 square miles, because they they've a- they added on after their initial purchase. And it cost, at the time, around $5 million. And that answer is also one of our um, Q&A questions from last week that we didn't get to. Yeah, so, yep, yep. So it worked out. So anyway, okay. All right, November 16th. The 29th Disney animated feature film premieres on November 16th, 1990, along with a 25-minute animated Mickey Mouse featurette. So, Craig, do you know the name of the film and the featurette? I definitely know the name of the film. That was The Rescuers Down Under. Yes. And here's the tough part, because I believe i actually did see rescuers down under in the theaters i i mean i would have been three but i i remember seeing it um i have a feeling i know the animated featurette mm-hmm. 
because this was one of my favorites when I was a kid. Um, and essentially, there's only two like 30 minute featurettes that I know of, and one of them is Mickey's Christmas Carol, but that came out in the 80s. So the only other one I know is The Prince and the Pauper. Mm-hmm. You are correct. Yeah. And The Rescue's Down Under, of course, is a sequel to the 1977 The Rescuers. So, um, and and this uh, this film was was the first traditionally animated film to be painted digit digitally on computers instead of acetate cells and paints. So. It's underrated. Yeah, In it is. I, re- I remember that one scene where they're flying on that, was it an eagle or something? Yeah, on an eagle, Over, yeah. Uh, I thought, oh my gosh, that, I just thought that was so magnificent. Yeah, it was yeah. so, so well done. So just mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> struck out with bad timing on when it was released, right after Little Mermaid, right before the juggernaut movies that were to follow with beauty and the beast and Aladdin and Lion King right after it just not enough to, to exceed those, but still just a solid entry in there. Yeah. They pretty much wrote off the film when it didn't do, um, when it didn't meet expectations opening weekend, they, they, they pulled all advertising. Um, they just gave up on it. Yeah, it honestly it reminds me of a lot. I know this one had a little bit more success and you'd probably hate it more, but it reminds me a lot of kind of the same fate that uh the Winnie the Pooh sequel had back however many years ago now cuz it came out right after Tangled and then had Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, all these just big movies to follow it and it's people like it, but it never really got any huge praise. Yeah, I thought it was a sweet film, and I, it was hand drawn animation. I went to a special D twenty three premiere at El Capitan, so where they had like the original art, you had the artists there, mm. and all that. I mean, it was really cool. So, in fact, my my plush Winnie the Pooh wears my pass. From that, because it says Winnie the Pooh on it. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Um. So our final one for this week, November seventeenth. On November seventeenth, two thousand and four, the Walt Disney Company launched a new website dedicated to promoting certain characters whose new film would air on ABC TV the next day. Name the characters <laughs> and name the film if you want. I. I do not know this. Well, I am so disappointed in you. You you mean the Muppets' wonderful Wizard of Oz does not stick in your head? Disney launched an all-new Muppets website. The site, which debuted on November 17th, features games, biographies of the Muppet characters, screensavers, and news about current projects, including the new film, The Muppets' Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which is scheduled to air on ABC TV next May. Yeah, so I have a lot of Muppet stuff. This is not (laughs) one that I have collected. Uh, I did not care for it, so... I'm I'm happy saying I don't know this one. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the Walt Disney Company purchased the Muppets, of course, in April two thousand and four. So I I think I saw this, 
And I, I wiped it from my memory. <laughs> I think, because was Gonzo Dorothy? No, it, God, it was the pop star that was Dorothy. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even remember. I, I just, I have this image of Gonzo in my head dressed as Dorothy. I don't know why. <laughs> I can't, who the heck was it that was, it's not. It's not Diana Ross, is it? <laughs> no, it was, it was a pop star. It was a pop star of that time. Like, I just, I don't, she's, there's no way she's still around to this day. But yeah, it's. You mean she's um, no longer with us, or her career has faded? I believe this, her career has faded. Did this kill it? <laughs> I, sure, it couldn't have helped it, but yeah, it's I I love Muppets. I mean, we go over that over and over again, but um, and I think Kirk Thatcher is very very important to everything with the Muppets and Henson but uh, he's also made some very terrible things with the Muppets and this this is one of them um, Ashanti yeah yeah exactly one of one of those pop stars of the the mid 2000s that I could not remember for the life of me I know the name I couldn't even tell you one song she sang yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even remember the name. It sounds very pretty. Oh, Gonzo was the Tin Man. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just, I I probably haven't seen it since 2005, 2006, maybe. So. <laughs> Fonzie was the lion. He looks cute. Anyway. All right. Well, good job, Craig. <laughs> Well, we are looking forward to seeing you at Destination D. And if you can't be there, we will talk about it on future episodes of Connecting with Walt. Yeah. So, Craig, until next time, where can our listeners find you on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? As always, you can find me Tuesdays on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, Wednesdays on the Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, Thursdays on the Universal Edition podcast, uh, random days on the Diz Daily Fix, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at michael at wdwinfo.com. That is where I actually prefer you send me messages because I have so many messages now on all my other little social media places. I've lost track of them all. So just send them all here. <laughs> on Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Michael Bowling I'm, is Facebook. That is my page. Uh, check out the one with the Connecting with Walt banner. That actually has the Disney stuff on it. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling, the Diz. And you can connect with both me and Craig on our official Connecting with Walt Twitter page, at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. 